what it's all about. And uh, uh, Vanessa had surgery this week, and, and her hand's not doing real well, and she, she would ask for your prayers. It's great to see Miss Sharon back. We've, we've prayed for Miss Sharon the last couple of weeks on Sunday and Wednesday both, and uh, she'd had a, had a heart spell and a, an attack, but they put the stent in, and things are going good now. So your prayers work. Your prayers are coveted. Uh, and desired so continue to pray for for all of our folks uh, we prayed for Gerald's sister on uh, last Wednesday and he said that she's out of the hospital and, and doing well um, folks I can't tell you how much your prayers mean to everyone and they work and God is still mighty and powerful and on the throne and uh, so anyway Welcome, and are you ready to worship him? Amen. Amen. I, I love it when Ray's up here with me. I didn't get my hug from you today. Come here. <laughs> Give me some power as we get ready to go. Okay, buddy. Oh. All right. First, let's, let's bow in a word of prayer. Uh, get our hearts and minds ready for, for worship. Father, we humbly gather here together as your body. The body of Christ in, in this location, in this community to do your work, to be as, as we sang a moment ago, if we are the body, we're your hands and your feet and your love in this community. And Father, we pray that we can uphold that com commission as ambassadors for Christ. And Father, at this time, I want to pray for each and every individual who is here and each and every individual of our body who couldn't be here this day for whatever reason. Pray, Father, that you heal those that need healed, that you comfort those who need your comfort and your touch. Pray that you would give courage and strength to us Everyone comes in here needing something, Father. And you know the hearts and the minds and, and the, the way in which we are here before you. And so we pray, Father, that your hand and your power and your might will be evident. And that we can see your works. But most of all, we gather here together to thank you and to worship you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that gift of yours that you gave so that we might have everlasting life and have hope. And Father, we thank you for the two things that you left with us for this life, which is your Holy Spirit and your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit is here this day, making your word readily receivable and available to us. And thank you for that word. And Father... I pray especially now for our country. I pray for all of our health care workers. I pray for all of our firemen, all of our policemen, all of our responders and EMTs. I pray for our military and those who are in service. Because, Father, this world is getting crazy. And I pray that your hand of blessing will be upon them as well as it is this body of Christ. And your protection goes to us all. So, Father, now we pray that you'll anoint your word. Pray that it will strengthen us for life. And pray that then we glorify you through our life. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, are you guys ready? Today, it hit me as I was going through the, and, and typing the lesson that I had studied. We've, we've talked before on the phone, Donnie and I have, and he said, you know, I love it how that, that usually we start in the Old Testament and you go to the New Testament and it all works out that way. But you know what happened this week? He reversed it on me. The Holy Spirit reversed everything and, and it was like we're going to start in the New Testament to explain what we're going to see in the Old Testament this time. And I, 
I just love it how that he changes things up and just moves and motivated. Um, we're ready for Joshua chapter 9, but I don't know if you remember an old Charlie Daniels song. <laughs> Charlie Daniels, you know, he's a country boy like we are, and, and he said uh, he had a song, I think it was The Uneasy Rider, if you ever heard of that, and he was talking about how he was tootling along in his Chevrolet, and he was getting ready to go to L.A., and at the end of the song, with everything that happened, he said, I think the next time that I go to L.A., it'll be via Omaha. You remember that? <laughs> I'm going to L.A. via Omaha. In other words, we're taking a different route today this time. We're, we're going to Joshua via Matthew and some other things in the New Testament. So if you want to, turn to Matthew chapter 2 with me. I want to start there to prepare our hearts and minds for, for where we're getting ready to go in Joshua 9. Because Joshua 9 is a fantastic section of scripture that shows the subtlety, that shows how easily deceived that we are able to be by, by the devil. Do you all believe in the devil? Do you really believe in the in, do You had better, and I hope that by the time we get finished here, that you really believe, not only believe, but you're aware of his practices and how deceptive he can be. Matthew chapter 2. Folks, we are in a spiritual battle. This life isn't about, oh, I'm going to work and I'm coming home and I'm going to try to save up a little bit and I'm going to try to put food on the table and just and then relax and have a good time. No, this is a spiritual battle and a warfare we are in. It is about eternal life and death. And whenever we talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about battles and we talk about the devil most folks outside of here thinks that that's nonsense, that that's foolish talk, that that doesn't mean anything, that's a bunch of hogwash, but I'm here to tell you that it's the absolute truth. And the one thing that we can learn from our Lord Jesus Christ is that every day is a battle with him. Matthew chapter 2. Before we get there, I want to preface it with Jeremiah chapter 31 because Jesus didn't laugh at the idea of spiritual warfare and the battle that we're in and the enemy that we face in Jeremiah 31 he prophesied of a day saying thus saith the Lord that a voice is going to be heard in Ramah there will be lamentation and bitter weeping because Rachel will be weeping for her children and she refuses to be comforted because they are no more that is because of the spiritual battle that we are in. And the war is intense. That war became so intense over one baby who was born of a virgin named Mary in the town of Bethlehem. And it was so important that there was a star that went up in the sky. And the wise men of Babylon saw it. They had been trained by Daniel the prophet of God and the man of God, to watch for this time to come. And they saw the star on the day that he was born, and they started following that star, and they came all the way over to Jerusalem. And they went to Herod, and they said, Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about, but when you find him, and he asked, asked the, the Jewish leaders there, where is the Messiah to be born? And they, they said, over in Bethlehem in Judea. And so he said, it's probably over in Bethlehem. And when you go and you find the baby, come back and let me know. Because, now here's how subtle the devil works. Because I want to worship him too. Come and let me know when you find him. Come back and tell me because I want to go and worship him too. Yeah, you do. Because... They went and they found the baby just as, as they had said that he was there. And they gave him the gifts. And the Holy Spirit of God told those men to depart another way and do not go back over to Herod. And they departed a different way. And when Herod knew that he had been deceived, when he had been deceived, he, he was filled with anger from the devil. And the devil motivated him in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 17. To kill every baby that was under two years old and under. Because that's the time that he had learned from the wise men when they had saw the star. And when he didn't get to go there. And 
worship him himself and put him to death, he that is going to be called king of the Jews. He then went on a torrent, a spiritual battle that every male child to and under would be murdered. And then was fulfilled what was spoken of Jeremiah the prophet saying a voice heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and could not be comforted because they were no more. Folks, we are in an intense battle of not only physical life and death, but spiritual life and death and eternity is at stake. And we have to start grasping the reality of that thing. Turn, turn one more page. Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to go a couple of pages at a time here. The nature of our battle is spiritual and physical and it is real. And speaking of is real... What about Israel? We talked Wednesday night. I want to share with you something that, that I shared with them Wednesday night. Do you know how that you can attest to the fact that God is real, His Word is real and alive and powerful? Do you know, you know what the greatest witness to that is right now? The nation of Israel. That is a little bitty piece of land that God promised to Abraham and to his descendants and his seed after that and he said that there's always going to be a fight over this have you seen what's going on over there right now have you seen the news over 4,000 rockets have went into there that they're trying to uh, defend themselves for the first barrage was 160 rockets coming in then over 400, now there's been over 4,000 rockets. Why? Because there has to be Israel and a history and for them to come back together and for that seven years of tribulation, which is the time of Jacob's trouble, to, to happen. If Satan can destroy the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and not allow that to happen, he wins. And there is no future in the lake of fire for him. He is in that battle that is fierce. And so he is after Jerusalem and Israel to take it. And that shows us when the news is dominated by that. It shows us that God's word is real or why would they even still be fighting over that little piece of land 4,000 years later after the promise. It's the greatest witness to, to God's power and truth and that he is right. And so we are in that same battle. Matthew chapter 3, if you turn the page with me. After all of that, Jesus now is coming to start his ministry with God. He is getting ready to consecrate himself unto God and saying that my life from this point forward now is your in your ministry. And it is for your purpose and your service. And he's consecrating himself to that mission. And he goes and he finds John, the forerunner, baptizing in the river Jordan. And he goes to him to be baptized. And John says to him, no, you're the son of God. I need to be baptized of you, not the other way around. And Jesus said, no, suffer it to be so to fulfill all righteousness. And so it says that they went into the water and John then agreed and baptized him. And it was an immersion, a submersion under the water. Because if you look, it says that when... He had been baptized. He came up immediately from the water. So he was placed under and came out from under. And when he did, the heavens opened up. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then the Father said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so the moment that the ministry of Jesus Christ began in the public eye, you know what happened? The Spirit landed upon him. Turn the page. Matthew 4, what happens? The that's the last verse of chapter 3. What happens the very next verse? He's taken and led out into the wilderness, isn't he? To battle with who? The devil. Do you think Jesus believes that there's a devil? 
and that there's a spiritual battle going on in this life. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And every single moment he was being tempted. And he was not eating. He was not drinking. He was spending his time in the word of God to defend himself against the wiles of the devil and the tricks that he was coming at him. And I want you to know that all those tricks weren't just blatant offensive things these were subtle tricks with the word of god weren't they oh if you are really the son of god you have the power to turn these stones into bread why don't you eat what are you hungry for you got that right no i i can't do that that's right now outside of the will of god i'd be tempting him with that no you're on a tower. Go ahead and jump and prove to me that you're the son of God because it says his angels are going to be able to bear you up and you're not going to dash your foot against stone. You see how subtle it is. He said, no, you will not tempt the Lord your God. Finally, at the end, he asked to say to him, devil, get away with you, Satan. And the devil left him for a moment. One of the other versions says he comes back in a more convenient time. You know, he's always going to come back. Every time we do have the ability to rebuke him a little bit and to tell him to get gone and it feels like he is, get ready because he's coming back. But you know what he did? The very next verse, what happens? What does the devil do? He's, now he's working on John. He gets John put into prison that baptized Jesus. And now you, you turn over to John chapter 8. What happens there? In John chapter 8. Jesus is talking to the, the religious folks of the day. And they're not believing him. They're not hearing what he's saying. They don't want to understand the words that he says. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. He originated all of these things. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. Do you think Jesus believed in the devil? And believed in the spiritual battle and the warfare? Yes. So shouldn't we? Shouldn't we believe in that? Whenever we go to pray, they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6. You know what he, you know what he said there? He said, here's how I want you to pray. Our Father which art in heaven. Won't, won't you just say it with me? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. But what? Deliver us from who? Evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that kind of a daily prayer? Because it talks about daily bread, right? Give us this day our daily bread. So what I see in an outline of the Lord's prayer, it's, it, it's actually a model of how to pray. He said, teach us to pray. He said, okay. Something like this. So basically what he's given us is an outline to fill in the blanks but in between. But what are the important parts of the outline? It's, it's like any good teacher. He's got three points. <laughs> he's got uh, kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know the will of God is what he desires for us to do. But then he says give us this day our daily bread. In other words we realize that God is God. And that all blessings flow from him and especially the necessities of life he's going to provide that so actually I'll, I'll teach this again one day but actually the wording there is that God's already ahead of the fact actually the wording means give us this day tomorrow's bread because God's always got you taken care of for tomorrow you you're you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today, you've already got everything. Today's got enough evil in it. And he's already got the bread for you ready for tomorrow as well. You don't have to worry about it. Next is my relationship with God also depends on my relationship with each other, don't it? Forgive me of my debts as I have forgiven those who have debts against me. And then always remember 
the battle that you're in when you're getting ready to step out of your door. Father, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Why? We have to say it every day because every day he's after me, isn't he? Every day he is going to be after you in a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, we touched on it just the other day. Miss Brenda's got a shirt that says Ephesians chapter 6 on it today. And it talks about the spiritual battle that we're in, that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the uh, spiritual armies, the rulers of the darkness of this age, wickedness in heavenly places. We need every day to put that armor on, but I want to go a step further with that. 2 Corinthians, this is, these are all of our uh, Berean chapters. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 up there on the board, verses 3 through 5. We walk in the flesh. We, we live this life, folks. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, our warfare is not with each other and not with the flesh. It is against the heavenly rulers of powers of darkness. And it says that our weapons then are not machine guns and tanks of the flesh, but our weapons are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you realize that every thing in this battle, in this warfare, we're supposed to try to knock it down. They're trying to teach our kids wrong things. It says that you're supposed to come out against those arguments. And you're supposed to say what is the truth. They're, the media is filling your minds with what's supposed to be what they consider now right. And that everything in the word of God is basically hate. No, you have to be prepared to with those arguments, say what is truth and what is right. And you've got to knock down all of their arguments that they have that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. James chapter 4, verse 7. What's our duty then? To resist the devil. Submit unto God. Resist the devil so that he flees from you. And here's a promise. Folks, underline this one. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And that's a promise. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you and resist the enemy so that he flees from you. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober. We all know this one, don't we? We all know this one real well. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like what? Yes, he walks around like a roaring lion. What's he wanting to do? Seek who he can devour. He is after us every day to seek who he can devour today. And he's like a roaring lion. But I want you to know something. We know this one. And I hope now that you believe that there is a devil, that there is an army of his, of demons that is is a spiritual battle that we cannot comprehend. I remember when uh, Elisha told his servant, Lord, open up the heavens so he can see who's on our side. You know, we're not in this thing alone. We've got the army of God also on our side. But I want you to realize that this is real, that these scriptures all the way throughout the New Testament tell us that we're in a battle. And most of the time we think of Satan as this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I want to tell you something. We can recognize him when he's a roaring lion. But you know when he's his most dangerous? When he's a deceiver. When he's like an angel of light. You know, because in 2 Corinthians, Romans 1 is first. I was getting ahead of myself. In Romans 1, the Lord God says... That I am God. Everything of my creation speaks to who I am. But people want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I have revealed who I am. But they want to suppress it. Why? Because down there in verses 24 and 25. God continues to give people over. 
when they refuse to acknowledge him as the creator and we begin to worship us, the creatures, more than the creators. When it becomes more important to us on what we think, what we want to do, what we would like to have happen, when that becomes more important than worshiping the God who created us, we end up getting turned over and we end up getting in trouble and things start happening very fast to us. They worshiped the creature, us, rather than the creator. So then they exchanged the truth for a lie. So now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, with that in mind about how we like to worship the creature rather than the creator, I want to tell you that not only the world, but in many places of worship, they're worshiping the creature more than the creator, and they're changing the truth into lies and allowing that to happen. When we get ready to partake of this Lord's Supper here in a moment, he tells him there, I want you to flee from idolatry. Oh, I ain't got no idolatry going on. Well, when you worship the creature rather than the creator, that's idolatry, okay? We have set ourselves up as something greater than God. And he says, I'm going to speak to you about this. The cup of blessing which we bless, whenever we get ready to take that cup of blessing, the communion, is it not the blood of Jesus Christ? And we, though there are many of us that are partaking of us, we're all of that one body of his, that one bread. And we all partake of that one bread. Wednesday night, I got off on a little tangent, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to have to share it with y'all because I was convicted in my heart on Wednesday that I had not ever taught this to you. And so I want to teach it to you now. We were talking about substitution on Wednesday night and how um, he substituted a different bride from the one that God uh, had told like Jacob to go for seek. So Esau substituted and took a different one. He went a different route instead of the way God would have him to go. And so we began talking about substitution, doing things that we think should be okay in our own eyes. And one of the things that we talked about, they, they built uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam when the kingdom split. He didn't want them to go back south. So he put an idol in Dan and in Bethel and said, here's your gods. It's too much for you to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God. You can worship these, these idols here because it's too much for you to do that. You see how Satan appeals to our sense of pride and our laziness. And it's like, yeah, it is too much for me to have to obey all of that stuff. Why can't I just do, do this? Well... It goes down to everything that we do in the worship service. We're not supposed to substitute different things. It says, how many breads is there? It says, we all partake of how many bread? One. There's one bread. Uh, one of my brothers shared with me about how when um, someone he knew was in the hospital, the chaplain comes up and would, would you guys like to partake of the Lord's Supper? And they substitute. Well, we don't really have the real emblems. So, but orange juice and this Twinkie will do just fine, won't it? We can just, you know, it's all about where our heart is anyway in it, right? And so they substituted. You see how what I'm trying to make a point is, is Satan is deceptive. And he convinces us that substitution is okay. That look how easy it is to do this and it's all right. Lightning's not going to, and, and then we had to retract that one because lightning did strike on, on one of our folks and uh, we've been praying for his eyes, Miss um, Pam's grandson. But then we had to change it that the roof won't fall in if I did that and so everything's good, isn't it? No. But what I want to teach you is it says that there's one that there's one bread. There's one body and the, the cup of blessing is the blood of Christ. The bread is unleavened bread. 
the cup, and I went into a discussion with them, is fruit of the vine. It is not wine. It is fruit of the vine. Why is it fruit of the vine? And I showed them the original words in the original languages as to the difference. The Holy Spirit knows the difference between wine and fruit of the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. We, and the fruit of the vine was the grape that was squeezed. But do you know why there was no wine? And the Holy Spirit never mentions wine in with the communion. And do you know why? The same reason as it's unleavened bread. What turns grape juice into wine? Fermentation. And what, what usually is the cause of fermentation? Sugar and what? Yeast. So sugar and yeast turns it into wine. But do you know what yeast is always referred to in the, in the Bible as? Sin. It always represents sin. And it represents pride. Because what does yeast do to bread? Puffs it up. It puffs it up, makes it airy. It, it, it doesn't make it, you know, flat. It puffs up and you get that light bread that we like. Sin is like that. It gets us puffed up. And so, if you study your Old Testament, you go back in Exodus whenever the, the first supper was instituted back then on the Passover. They had to search. They searched their house for a week to remove every speck of leaven that was in the house so that it wasn't there. It was the fruit of the vine and it was unleavened bread and you won't have leaven in your house. You won't have leavened bread in your house during this old time because it represents sin. And the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? So do you think that he wants it represented with sin, with leaven? No. Do you think that it's okay to substitute anything else for what he said, this is the memorial of what I've done for you. My sinless body and blood shed upon the cross. No, it's not okay. What I am trying to get across to us of how we have to know the truth, that it sets us free and that we can't allow the subtle deceptivenesses of the enemy to change one word like he did with Eve in the garden. That God said that you will surely die. You will not surely die. One little word was the deceptive thing. We've, we cannot allow the deceptiveness because Satan is most powerful not when he is a roaring lion. We can identify him then. He is most powerful when he's an angel of light. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm not even there yet. I'm in Deuteronomy. 2 Corinthians. Go, no, go ahead back up. I, I, I'm there. I just don't know where I'm at on here. 2 Corinthians 11. The devil has deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Are you surprised? I am not surprised, the scripture says by Paul, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So is it any wonder, is it anything to your amazement, that his workers and his ministers also disguise or transform themselves into an angel of light. You see he can be a roaring lion. But he can transform into an angel of light. White teeth. Smiles. Deceptive smooth talk that reels you in. And gets you thinking that this is the truth. Yes isn't that right. He does. And this is when he's most deceptive. He said. You've got to be careful of his deceptive nature and his deceptive tongues. I named them honeycombs. I finally found where I'm at, Miss T. <laughs> She's like, all of that that I just told you was not anywhere here. That was just the spirit moving again to, to say we, we needed to know this. I needed to teach you about the Lord's Supper because I never had. But you know what? He's an angel of light. I call it a honeycomb. 
You ever bought the honey with the honeycomb in the middle of the jar? Boy, it looks so good, but whenever the honey's off and you get to the comb, what do you got? (laughs) That's that paper stuff that like the wasps and stuff put together, and it's all paper. It's covered with honey, but when you get down to it, it's awful paper-like stuff. That's what an angel of light is. When he transforms himself, his outward appearance is like honey. But inside, you've got a comb that is not too fanciful and good to eat. He, is, he portrays himself into that kind of way. So we have to be aware of what truth is. So now, I'm getting us ready. I, you think I forgot about Joshua 9. I'm, I'm getting us ready. But we're, we're taking it via Omaha, remember. We're taking that longer drive today. So now I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Because now that we understand that, the, that there is a spiritual battle that we fight every day. And that the wiles of the devil, the one that we have to really worry about is his deceptive, subtle little ways. Now I want you to see how they get in trouble in Joshua chapter 9. But first, we got to go to two places in Deuteronomy so that we really understand what's going on. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, it begins like this. God's instruction for their warfare going into the enemy land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're going to possess, and he casts out the nations before you, and he names seven of them. There's the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The termites, the, the, all of them. God delivers them over to you and you will conquer them and utterly what? You're going to utterly what? Destroy them. And you will make no what? No covenant with them and no mercy will you show them. So they've been instructed, haven't they? They've been instructed that you're going to utterly destroy the enemy. You will not make a covenant with them. And you will not have any mercy on them. And I was thinking as, as I read that. Man that's tough. Man that's kind of hard. But you know what it really is representing to you and I? It's representing our old man of sin too. How difficult it is for us to utterly destroy that. As we are walking in this land isn't it? I mean. We're not supposed to make any other covenant with anything else. We're, we're, not, we're supposed to destroy and utterly destroy that flesh. It says we, we die to self. Boy, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's hard. And this is why this keeps coming up like this. But he says, don't make a covenant with any of these nations and have no mercy on them. And then he repeats it again in Deuteronomy um, chapter 20 and verse 16. For emphasis, he tells them again. Of the cities and of the people which the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you will utterly destroy them. And he lists some of the nations again. And just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Lest why? There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason. God always does everything for a reason. Why is the reason behind him? Because if you leave him there. If you make a covenant with them, if you don't utterly remove the flesh from yourself, then you're going to fall back into it. They will teach you their ways and what their gods are, and they will cause you to sin against me. So the word of God reaffirms why that they are doing this and what his instruction is to the people as they go through the land. So now... They're not going off just half cocked. They're going off from the commandment of God and they've got something to do. Now we're ready for Joshua chapter 9. Yay! Yay. (laughs) He's like, about time, dude. This is a long long one. So Joshua chapter 9. Now it comes to pass. You see, they they get over here. We've we've saw them cross over. We saw them go to Jericho. We saw them go to Ai. We saw last week the special ceremony that they had. Now, guess who's next in line? The Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are the next town that is going to be raided by Joshua and the men as they go through the nation. So 
the Gibeonites are like, we're next on the list. We'd better act fast. So all of the kings of the land are making a covenant, just like they're going to do in the end against Israel. Uh, they're making a covenant against Joshua and says, let's all of us fight together against him. And they all agree. So the Gibeonites throw their hat in that ring, but they're like, we're next. And they said, what can we do? So what they end up doing is they say, let's make a plan. How are we going to get out of this mess that we're in? They said, let's do this. Let's act like we're from a very far country. We're going to say we come from real, real far away. And, but, but we only live three days journey from where they're at. We're not real far away. They're coming here next. I know, but here's what we'll do. We're going to put on old clothes. And we're going to make them all raggedy and everything. Like we've been out here for days and days and weeks. Uh, our bread, it's going to be all moldy and hard. Our shoes, our sandals, let's, let's make them all just about ready to fall apart. We're going to make it look like we've came from about a thousand miles away. And we just arrived and then we're going to butter them up. We're going to butter them up. And what they're going to say is when they come is we're going to tell them we're ambassadors. We're your servants. And we want a covenant with you so that you do not destroy us. And so what happens is, is they do this and they come in. They got their old sacks on their donkeys. They, got, they work very craftily. That's how the devil is at his best is when he's crafty and an angel of light. And so they put all of this stuff on and they come to Joshua and the men of Israel. We've come from a far country. Now, make a covenant with us. Man, it's really quick. We're, we're from far away. Make a covenant. Well, they get to be a little suspicious. Why? Because Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 20, we're not supposed to make a covenant with the people from around here, are we? So he said, the men of Israel said, now they didn't know they're the Hivites because that was one of those seven, wasn't it? They didn't know. The Holy Spirit is telling us this after the fact that these were Hivites, the Gibeonites are, who they're not supposed to have a covenant or leave without destroying them all. None will be left with a breath. So the men of Israel say to these ambassadors who are lying to them and say they're from a far country, perhaps... It might be that you do dwell among us. We can't make a covenant with you. They say, oh, no, we are your servants. Boy, you see how the little lies start to come in now? Oh, we're your servants. Who are you, he said then. And they never tell him who they really are. Just we're from a far country. Go ahead and give me the next one. So they said to him, no, we're just from a far country and we are your servants. And we're here because of the name of the Lord your God. We heard about everything that he's been doing out there. We, we heard what happened in Egypt. We heard about the Red Sea. We heard about 40 years in the wilderness. So we have come to be your servants. No, they've come because they're next in line and they don't want to be taken in. So they tell them all of these lies. And then they get down there around verses 13 and 14 and 15. And they tell them, look, we did come from the far country. We got old bread. We got old clothes. We got old sandals. Look at all of this. And their little deceptions speak as truth. And it says there that Joshua took a look at the bread, that it was moldy. And then he said, well, you must be telling the truth. And so they made a covenant with him. Joshua in verse 15 made peace with them. And they made a covenant to let them live. And so did the rulers of the congregation. Which was the heads of the 12 tribes. And they swore to them by the Lord their God. If you look down there in that verse 18. They swore to them by the Lord God of Israel. They swore a covenant. We won't harm you. We will let you be among us. How did they get tricked? Deception. Sweet words. Smile. We're your servants. We were far country. Look at our moldy bread. I left out one big clue. You know, that's how we always get deceived. What should they have done? Ask of the Lord, right? You would have thought after what happened at Ai that they, they weren't going to not ask of the Lord again, right? Look what it says back up there in 14. I skipped over it. The men of Israel took of their provisions, that moldy bread, 
And they saw that and said that must be truth. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord God. The actual wording there says they asked not at the mouth of the Lord. That's what the word says from the mouth of the Lord. Do you know what the mouth of the Lord is? We had it a couple of weeks ago. Urim and Thummim. You remember that? The Urim and Thummim of the high priest. That, that vesticle. Remember how they, they went to find who was Karim? They started bringing the people around and the lights in the vest shined up for the yes or the no. So they didn't ask at the mouth of God. They didn't, they didn't bring in that vest. And Joshua didn't say, are these men really from a far country? Because what would the answer have been? No. Uh, are they really those ambassadors? And is all of this stuff that they're telling us true? Nope. nope. <laughs> then are we supposed to make a covenant with them? Nope. Then we, we have to destroy them as the word of God said. But they didn't ask of the Lord. How many times we, we've got the same kind of, of asking of the Lord that they did, don't they? It's called the Holy Bible. And everything in there we can ask of the Lord to see if it's true or not or what we're supposed to do. And they didn't ask of the Lord and they made this covenant. And now look what happens. In, in verse 16, three days as they go on their journey after they had made the covenant, they find out that they were their neighbors. And they lied to us all the time. And now we're in big trouble because we've just broken the word of God because God said that we can't make a covenant with these people. Now I'm in a pickle because what am I supposed to do? I have sworn by the Lord our God that we won't harm you, but the word of God told me that I'm supposed to destroy you. Boy, they're in a pickle now, aren't they? Come back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And I'll tell you what happens and how they get out of the pickle. What's the right thing with God? I think you want to know that, right? So come back. And, and learn that. But what I want us to know this day is, look, the devil is real. Our battle is real. Our warfare is real. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one this day. He's more powerful as an angel of light than he is as a roaring lion. He's more dangerous to us as that. So those are the lessons that I wanted us to learn. Look how easily... And we always say, after every time we get burnt, like at AI, after every time we get burnt in our life because we didn't do what we know we should have or we didn't stick with it, what happens? We say, I'm not going to do that again, and I'm always going to go to the Word of God and ask about that, and I'm, boy, I'm, I'm going to change this time. And what usually happens? <laughs> we fall again, don't we? Because of deceptiveness is a, is a big thing. And because it's hard for us to do what it was said and to, to do away with our fleshly nature and for it to die and just be put off, isn't it? So we're battling self and we're battling the deceptiveness of our enemies. So I hope that today what you can take from the first half of Joshua 9 is that God is real, the battle is real, but Jesus and God loved you and he died for us. Be aware, get, get to know the word of God so the, and, and get in the routine of asking of God. It's pretty easy. You can even go to Google and say, Google, give me a Bible verse on whatever it is you're wondering about and it can give you some and you can make a decision. You can ask at the mouth of the Lord, is this right or is this wrong? And you're going to get the yeas or the nays through there. So I guess my encouragement is to walk in him and to ask at the mouth of the Lord. And don't be deceived by the sweet talkers who would love to tear you down. And so as our worship team comes on back. And as we get ready to close and to take this message with us. I want you to focus with me for a moment. Because normally, and I know how it is, all the years that, that I sat there. And when, when the preacher would say, you know, we're getting ready to sing. The praise team come up or whatever. Our minds immediately shut off from, from the lesson and from what we just heard and we get ready to sing that song of invitation. But now I want you to focus with me for a minute, okay? Because 1 Peter chapter 3, God is long-suffering and waiting. I hope that from today's 
word of God that you can see that there, there is a spiritual battle, a warfare, that it is real. And I pray that you are in Christ. I don't want anyone to leave here this day not being in Christ. We talked in the beginning how that the Lord Jesus, when he was ready to go on that, that journey and that mission for God, that he was baptized in the river Jordan of John. And it was to fulfill all righteousness. We do that to fulfill faith and to have a good conscience towards God. If you have not done that, I pray that you do that today as they sing the song. Will you make the commitment as Jesus did and follow that example to also be buried in the waters of baptism for him? Because it says right there in 1 Peter 3, Peter who knows very well everything that happened, with the Lord's life. He said there was a long suffering of God. That waited in the days of Noah. While they were building that ark. That within that ark. Few that is eight souls. Were saved by the water. Whereunto that like figure. That, that story was a figure. It was a type for us in this day. That that like figure of our baptism. Doth now also save us. Not as a bath putting away filth from the flesh, but it's the answer of the good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is you telling God, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for my sins, his shedding of blood that bought me. And I imitate the, him in the same way in that I die to self, I am buried, I am raised up by the power of God that raised Jesus up. And my conscience is clear if you are here today and that has not been done the water is ready we have clothes here so that you don't leave here in your wet clothes we have towels as they play come forward and make that known so that we can do that to everyone who has done that now we gather together again like they did at AI last week and we consecrate ourselves together to God in this mission. We realize the battle that we're in and we are going to always seek the answers at the mouth of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his example. We pray, Father, that everything that we have done here today with our singing, our praise, our prayers, our worship, the reading of your word, we pray that our gathering together is pleasing. We pray that it has honored you. We pray that everything was done in spirit and in truth and that you are glorified. And, Father, we just thank you for making us more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.